0: Hello and welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast. I'm Michael Glennon, sitting in for Neil Tracy this week as we we rotate the squad. On the panel today, we have former Ireland head coach Eddie O'Sullivan and former Ireland out-half Ian Keatley. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. (laughs) I guess we're we're actually four days after Ireland's match, and in the normal run of events, we probably wouldn't spend so much time analysing a a game that's gone past. But uh, if we were ever to do that, it's for a game like we saw on Saturday. Because to be fair, if if Ireland had have lost that match, had it not turned up, or if they had some made some errors at crucial times, we would be poring over that and uh, analysing who did what, why, and why did they do it wrong. But um, before we go into the details of the match, Eddie, can you just maybe talk about the sense of occasion and the atmosphere that, that contributed to it? it? It was really kind of intoxicating, even without having a drink.
1: The context of the game is the first thing, that it was basically in a lot of people's minds and... Still to be proven, but you, you wouldn't argue it against. It's probably the defining game in the championship. You know, you're number one in the world uh, against number two in the world. Uh, Six Nations. You know, both teams look at it, if they can win this, the Grand Slam is on the table. So the the context of the game is colossal. Um, and then I suppose for Ireland was at home. Um, you know, for the supporters there, that's where the atmosphere is going to come from. Uh, but then I think the big takeaway for us is that it was the comprehensive nature of the victory. You know, given a game that everybody said would go down to the wire, it'd be a one-score game, there'd be nothing in it, it could go any way, nobody was calling it. We all wanted Ireland to win, so we all said Ireland would win. But in the back of our minds, we knew that, you know, that that game could go wrong easily. But just the comprehensive nature of it, four tries to one, like, that just says everything. So I, I think because of the, the occasion, the pressure on the players, the the the, the context of the game, and the fact we won it so comprehensively, that's for me is the big talking point, you know, like it wasn't even a close at the end of the day. Even the scoreboard was close up to a point. You just never, you could never see France doing enough to discombote Ireland. We were completely in control. So for me, that was my takeaway. It was, just, it was a world-class performance by Ireland and they made a world-class team like France look fairly ordinary at the end of the day.
0: Ian, what did you think immediately after the match?
2: I th- I just thought this Irish team has like reached reaching another level and they're always kind of reaching reaching milestones and it's like we're all waiting for them to slip up but yet yeah, they keep turning out consistent high level performances which is something that like obviously under the Joe Smith era I think he did change the the belief in Ireland and he got them to world number 1 for the first time we beat the All Blacks under Joe Smith but this team is just it's kind of raised the bar again Just as I said, the consistency of play and the enjoyment in which they play with—like getting four tries, a bonus point win over like a classy French team with Sean Edwards as their defense coach, which they pride themselves on—that to score four tries—it's it's it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then let's flip it on, and probably people haven't talked about it that much because they're so uh, they're they're so positive about the attack. Ireland's defense was was incredible and their and their discipline. Like they didn't give France many chances. Yeah. Um, like the French try that they only scored was actually they scored it from just outside their own 22, which is typical French play, French flair, and they scored an excellent try, but you can't really say they had too many other chances inside the Irish 22. Um, and and the chance that they did get Ireland ne- neglected that. So it, I think. I think we obviously we're talking about their attacking side but just their defense not giving France access against a very good French team who who they have the like not they are probably the number 2 best player in the world after uh, Josh Van der Fleer, they've got Dupont and Dupont just looking like he didn't look like he wasn't creating anything.
0: Yeah. Um I think France were less than 1 minute in Ireland's 22 in the whole game. Um so I mean that's a brilliant stat defense wise. I was kind of just flicking through my brain to remember some previous standout Ireland games over the years now. I'm going to have to dip back into the Five Nations, Ian. That's that's before your time. But uh, Ireland and England in... The two times Ireland beat England 93-94, Eddie. Um, Paris in 2000. Uh, A couple of games under you over in Twickenham. The Croke Park match, obviously. And then when Ireland won the Grand Slam in Twickenham in 2018. I'm probably missing a few there, but... Does last Saturday's match rank above those or what's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, I think they're up there, you know. The descent, like, I think people will look like, in, in 10, 15 years' time. Like like some of the games you plucked out there, it's 10, 15 years on and you can still pluck them up. People yeah. remember. I think this game goes into that category, you know. Um, I think following on what, 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 um, what Ian was saying there is that I just I just thought this the this Sireland this team at the moment are kind of hitting benchmarks consistently. Like, I think when we look back in the summer tour when they when they beat the All Blacks, having lost the first test and then coming back to win the series, it's very, very unusual. To, I don't think it's ever been done in New Zealand when you lose the first test and you win the next two. Um, you kind of need to win the first one. But it, they made the All Blacks so kind of ordinary. Now, at the time, we kind of said, oh, okay, let's see what the All Blacks are made of. And the All Blacks did struggle... In in the rugby championship, so there was kind of a thing. Well, this we didn't. We beat the All Blacks in New Zealand. It was fantastic, but it probably wasn't the vintage All Blacks team, yeah. you know. So they probably didn't get full credit in everybody's mind for that because you, people, the All Blacks are not in a good place. But then to come in and polish the autumn up like they did, and then I think the two the first two games of the championship, like at the end of the day, we have two bonus points in in the bag in after two games in the championship, and we've conceded two tries. Like, yep. that's pretty... Like, whatever you dice this, Ireland are probably in the good of places they could want to be. Um, I think the also, like, for me, the, 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 when I knew the game was over was when, you know, when Ramos went into the pocket and hit a drop goal. Like, like to me, that was the white flag going up, going okay. up the flag France. They just knew it was over because they'd thrown everything with the kitchen sink at Ireland. They'd gone through, I think, that particular set, they'd been through, like, 10 or 12 phases and they were going nowhere. And then Penal goes into the pocket and hits a drop goal, and it's like we'll go back to halfway here we're cooked, you know. And and it was inevitable then I think that Ireland would score the bonus point, um, the bonus point try. So you know you don't want to get too carried away, like because the Six Nations is a strange animal, you know. Like like I know on paper now we should just finish it up, but you never know. Like Scotland are dangerous now, more dangerous than they've ever been for a long time, and England coming the last weekend, and and people say you're the scold in Italy. If we were to lose in Rome to Italy, that would raise huge questions. I don't don't see it as possible, but it's still not done yet. But if you said, if you wrote wrote a script, uh, you know, a month ago, this is Ireland's plan for the Six Nations, and you wrote the first two chapters, I don't think you could write any better than what happened, you know? you can and you can plan all you like but you can't plan for a spider cam or some
0: guy getting too excited the guy pulling the levers that gets the spider cam on the 22 and there probably was some feeling that you wanted to protect Finlay Finlebiliem to some extent because he did very well against Wales but it's a different beast coming up against the, the French pack so James Lowe, his first kick hits the spider cam and all of a sudden France have a, a scrum on the 20 sorry Ireland have a scrum under 22 and um, that Finley Bealham, it's held up and Ireland get the ball away. On the first Irish try, Eddie, what what did you make of, it seemed to be a pre-planned move, it was obviously a pre-planned move, but have Ireland adapted better to this dropout? Previously we've seen that, which it wasn't from dropouts. Well,
1: there was a lot of talk about the move, you know, and it's a very simple move where you you basically hit a pivot player off the rock and you pretend to have only drops it inside. We've seen it, Ireland views it over the years under Joe Schmidt. I can guarantee you, like, that's, it's it's not it's not an extraordinarily difficult or different move. I mean, you see it in the AL every Saturday. I'm not, yeah. I'm not joking. Um, the thing that surprised me is that Sean Edwards is known as the greatest defence coach in the world. And the one thing, and you, you see teams defend this in the AL every week. You don't score off it every week. It's only when the first defender beside the ruck, the pillar, chases the ball. The irony is, he's called the pillar for a reason, the, the giveaways yeah. in the name. Yeah, yeah. So for a French pillar defender to chase the raw ro- to chase the ball and leave the pillar position open to be exploited like that, if the pillar just stayed there, there was no line break. I think that'll keep uh, that'll keep Edwards awake for a long time that they would do that because it's in, it's it's just appalling defence. So not trying to take away from from what Ireland did, but if you look at any club side, they they would be looking at when you see that pivot player off the rock, the pillar stays at home. More than they ever did, so it was a nicely executed move. They obviously maybe spotted something in the video analysis that um, that the pillars were moving a little bit, and they took a punt in it. I suppose the only thing is, it was it was from a counter attack, which is a little bit different. A lot of teams yeah. set those up off of set players, particularly lineouts. They come off the top and they hit the rock up, and then they yeah. dummy really wrap on it. But I'd have to say, you know, it's not. It's not the newest move we've ever seen. Just very well executed, but I would say uh, Edwards would be awake at night over that one. Like it was, a, it was a, it was a huge mistake to make. But fair play to Ireland, saw the, saw the opportunity and, and did it.
0: And Ian, the second try, Lowe's in the corner, uh, brilliant pass by uh, Ringrose to set him up, and he just did enough at the time. Did you did you think it was a try? Or
2: uh, it's actually funny like when you looked at all the camera angles. Uh, I think everyone thought it was a yeah. try, and it, it was an unbelievable finish. Um, and then it's always funny afterwards; you always get that other that other camera view that is tactically not showing during the time. Yeah, and uh, his foot was in touch, but you you could say that the tackle on him in the corner was a no arms tackle, it should have been a penalty try anyway. But um, let, let's let's take, not take that away. It's was, it was great build up play by Ireland again. Uh, to get those opportunities. An unbelievable pass by Gary Ringrose, who people are are saying he's having the best, but also people criticise him, saying, oh, he never passes the ball, and yet he shows a, a 20, 25-metre pass out to Lowe who's, who has a miraculous um, finish in the corner. And we're looking at growing the game, and should the benefit of doubt should always be shown to the attacking team? So it would have been... It would have been unjust if that was ruled out for a foot and touch so it was great to see but let's let's go back everyone's talking about lowest finish but the the build-up play from from Ireland was, was was just incredible and and their their ability to identify the space but also get to get the ball to that space I think everyone sitting in the seats you can see space everyone can see space but it's another thing trying to get the ball to that space at speed before the defense comes across and that's that's the that's the thing that's setting this Irish team apart at the moment. And, um...
1: I think the giveaway area would have been that there was definitely space there, and it, it, was a, it was a great pass. Um, it just shows how tight the margins are in in an in international level. Like, I think it was Damien who made the tackle, and uh, he was par- like, you could say technically stopped low, but you know the try was awarded, and I think Lowe's foot was definitely on the ground. I thought at the time it was. Yeah. Um. But look. It was a mistake by the by the by the TMO. They looked at it and they, they decided it was a try. They gave the benefit of doubt, so they can talk about it all day. But the, my point is the margins are so tight. Penner almost stopped him. Like it was all close to stop him. Penner was about a half a meter too narrow, and he didn't have to be that half meter too narrow because it wasn't really an overlap. It was a one on one. He tucked in a half meter just too tight, and the passes on the money, and that was the rest is history. You know. So like you're. An, an international level, and Ian knows this. That like, you you get opportunities. They're there for like a nanosecond, and if you execute, you have a chance to score, And if you don't, it's gone and it's not coming back. So it just shows there how how much Ireland are, are like on the on the money in terms of their decision making. Um, because if 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 that didn't work out, it was a line out to France. You know, yeah. it's a turnover. You could tackle into touch. It's a turnover, and the chance is probably gone. So to be fair, again, to, to Ian's point, like the precision of Ireland to identify the space, you know, the, the vision and the precision to make the pass and the finish was fantastic. But it just shows you how tight the margins are, you know. It's, it's, and, and people don't, I don't think people appreciate that. But when you see a try being scored, you think, oh, yeah, like it was, you know, it was, it, it was so easy. But it's nothing easy to test a you know. And, and you're like a half step too late or a half step too early. And, you know, it doesn't happen. Exactly. And Ireland even left another couple of tries out there
0: in that first half. That's what I mean. If they haven't got a fourth there towards the end, it would have been fully deserved as well. Ringrose got the the last try. It came after 20 20 odd phases. It it was the the patience within that that build up that was as impressive as
2: the finish, uh, Ian. Yeah. Kind of once again, we're talking about that build up to uh, Lowe's try, just the multi phase, the the ability to hold on to the ball, and there's this, there's this thing at the moment, the longer you hold on to the ball, uh, you should actually be thinking about kicking it, which actually England are doing at the moment. Um, like they, they don't really go through long phases. They, they look for the, the kicking game. It's come from South Africa. South Africa did it for the World Cup. Saracens used it. It's, it's kind of constantly kicking, put the ball in behind, building pressure, building pressure. But Ireland, they, they're able to mix it up. They, they still have a great kicking game, but they've got that ability to hold on to the ball and put pressure on you just through multi-phase. And, and that's quite difficult, especially at international level, because you've got some serious poachers in that in, in every team. But that French team, they they rely on big, massive moments where your ball carrier gets isolated and they've got <laughs> big men who just latch on over the ball and they they're just unmovable. So this is the boring side of the game, that ability to to carry and for the breakdown, uh, for the for the guys who are hitting the breakdown to be there instantly, like to not give any access to the French team uh, and to be able to clear out and keep quick ball. It's actually phenomenal to do that phase over phase over phase and not give France an in because the longer you go, the more fatigue creeps in. That might just mean one ball carrier gets away from you and you're a second late to that breakdown. It's, it's that's the other thing that Eddie would talk about. You, this is people what people in the stand don't see, and it's actually incredible. And I'm sure when they review that game, um, obviously everyone looks at the great finish by Gary Ringrose, the build-up, but they will highlight the accuracy of the clean-out. So people yeah. things that people don't see in the stand, they they will highlight that because that's what's making this Irish team uh, run like clockwork. Is it's the unseen work.
0: Yeah, and the man of the match was uh, Caelan Doris, and he, he, he came out, he, his, his was the, the, a brilliant assist. And a brother of mine said to me about, you'd see that 100 times out in the club or tr- throughout your life and 99 times it would never come off a pass like that. You'd think that guys who were able to do that was a, a brilliant skill to, to execute under that pressure.
2: Yeah, he's, he's playing unbelievable at the moment. The way he's able to, to run at defenders, he's able to sidestep but keep, keep pace onto the sidestep which is actually incredible. For, so for Hugo Keenan's try, he carries, he does one, two, three steps, but he's still very direct. He doesn't slow down his pace, and that's what, that's what gets him into those little gaps and gets him over the gain line. And even for, for the offload for Gary Ringrose, he actually wins the contact first. You see so many young guys now, and I, I see it when I'm coaching, they try and offload as they're getting hit in the contact, and they're off balance. If you watch that 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 pass or offload from Ken Darks, he wins the contact first, gets through the other side, ball back in two hands, and he's able to give that accurate accurate pass. When you see kind of a lot of young lads would, would have the ball in one hand, they'd be slipping out. They haven't won the contact, they're off balance and they're trying to throw that ball. And the ball tends to go to go to the ground. It's just it's just brilliant basics done really well. He just wins the collision and then he's ball back in two hands, and that's why he's able to give that pass to Gary Ringross.
1: Yeah. Eddie, I'm just looking. Just to, uh, yeah. just to you know, just jump on something Ian was saying earlier about the kicking game. I mean, you compare Ireland's kicking game on Saturday, compared to England's kicking game on Sunday, England kicked a ton of ball away in great positions. Just wonder what they were thinking, but that's their problem, not ours. That's um, for, for Steve Bartwick to fix. But uh, I think going back to Cardiff, I was critical of Ireland's second half kicking game in Cardiff. The way we kicked the ball pretty aimlessly down the middle the field brought the Welsh onto us. Uh, really made our day difficult. Had to make lots of tackles and defend for long periods, and kind of got lucky a couple of times when Wales didn't cash in on a couple of line breaks. But I thought last Saturday, particularly in the final quarter, we 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 played really well. We 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 played a bit of phase rugby. We we got the French wings to play up high, and then we pinged the corners. The old school people would call it monster cup rugby. Stati- yeah. There was tactics coming near the end where like France were getting desperate. And what that does to a team is they can't get out of their 22 or they can't get out of their third of the field. And they're looking at the clock ticking down and it just takes the fight out of them. And and that kind of sets up Gary Ringrose's try is that then when you get a chance, as you always do, we were able to take them through the phases and finish. But I thought the kicking game again for me was was much smarter um, and at the right time, playing in the right parts of the field. As you said earlier yourself, like the amount of access... That we gave France to our 22 was almost zero. Yeah. And um, they were t- they they did one try, they racked up most of their points from long-range penalties. You know, uh, so that that to me tells a huge story. And and the smarts to do it, I'm just looking at the list of the players who finished. So O'Toole, Kilcoyne,
0: Kelleher, Henderson Conan, Casey, Rossburn, and Bundyaki, and it's really I'm, none of those are first choice, and a couple of those guys in the depth chart are considered third choice. Was that one of the biggest things the biggest takeaways
1: is that Ireland were able to finish
0: off a high stakes game with
1: without the front liners? What you're saying now, and it's the the broader way to probably answer that question is that the depths across the squad. I mean, you're right there is there are two positions that we're not sure, like and I, well i I'll take that back. I will say after Saturday. Um, Ross Bourne is definitely number two, number 10. But that was that was in question. You know, there was a lot of question marks around the backup number 10 to Johnny. And Johnny is number one. Um, the other, the only position i probably up for, for discussion in terms of depth is is Hugo Keenan's position full back. Who is our next natural backup 15? And I don't know. Who, what what Andy Farrell's thinking and I'm not even sure I know if I had to pick one because we've had multiple opportunities there and there's only one number 15 so I suppose we've solved the question around the backup number 10 for the moment Uh, um, and that we would be confident if Johnny couldn't play 80 minutes that that Ross Byrne can do a job, uh, no problem there the fullback is the only one so that's a positive I actually think because we're now 6 months out of a World Cup and we're really the only positions we're not sure we have depth in is basically now it comes down to fifteen. It's one position yeah. we know we've got depth in the front row, second row, back row, midfield, wings. Like yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's a squad in rude health at the moment in terms of the no. I'm not talking about the injury so much as. You know, when you write down the Irish squad, when everyone's fit and healthy, as we'd hoped for the World Cup, and you draw up the depth chart, you know, there's some going to be very difficult decisions we made for that World Cup at the moment in terms of who goes. But I think that's the strength of us at the moment, is there's really just one position now where we're not sure about the backup, not even the start. We know who starts there. To me, that goes to your question about how we can finish out games. We're bringing impact players off the bench. If we have injuries, guys just slip in. You know, and there's no there's, there's no dramas. So that's yeah. that's where that's that's where that comes to into play really. It's hard to think if you go back just to
0: an Ireland won the Grand
1: Slam that there's
0: no place in the 23 for Jordan Lammer at the moment, um, and that's testament to the strength as well. But
1: um, Ian, and what about he's
0: Matt?
1: Shooting he's shooting the lights out with Leinster. You know, yeah. he's he's been outstanding with Leinster. But that's the thing is, it's it's very hard to put him in there because you, there's nobody in there to give him give them an in. You know, okay. that's that's the, the, the cruelty of it. What about Mac Hansen at, at full back? He could probably do a job, Ian. Um, I know he hasn't h-
0: had a go there with Ireland, um, but maybe he's in Farrell's thinking as well as a backup.
2: Yeah, I, I said uh, right now and there, the other full back option is obviously Hugo Keenan, like, he's turned into probably one of the best full backs in the world, which is, yep. which is unbelievable to see con- considering where he's come from, the Sevens background. And um, I think that like you've got Mike, Mike Haley and Munster who's actually had an unbelievable season and he's still not making the Irish squad. I think that's because I think they can see Jimmy O'Brien uh, fitting in there. I, I, I couldn't see why Mac Hansen couldn't do it, do a job there either. Um, like, or or, or James Lowe and also remember we've got Andrew Conway. I know he's got a long-term injury, but he's got, yeah. he's, he's got, he's gotten a bit forgotten about as well. He was, he was I believe I, unbelievable. Even I, the, guy,
1: I, the guy who's probably got the biggest grievance for not getting into the Irish squad as a full back option is Mike Gallowry. Yeah. yeah. To me has been probably the pick of the backups, even though he's not in the squad. I, I watched him a few weeks ago when they played the Stormers. I was in I was in the stadium. So I wasn't watching the monitor. I was watching him in the backfield when the play wasn't. And that night he was outstanding. Like um his positioning his work rate in the backfield, his management of the back three was 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 fantastic. I mean, every time uh, the Stormers kicked the ball, he was standing under when it landed, no matter where they kicked it. He like he's ele- he's electric in attack. The only downside is he's small, so he's vulnerable in the air, like for contestables, big guys jumping over him. But I think he's a guy. But again, you know, we're we're kicking around five or six names here, and, and none of us can say, oh, there's the guy. For sure. That's, yeah. That was my point, that we don't know who the backup is. But my point is you're six months out of the World Cup and the big discussion is who's your backup full-back. Yeah. I'll take that, I'll take that any, any World Cup
2: year. It's going to be interesting. Now, obviously, we're in a great position two from two. We're playing Italy away from home, which is a lot tougher test than playing them at home. Uh, do you think this could be the opportunity now to, to uh, in one or two? I don't think they'll completely change the team, but it could be a time where this is where you actually try maybe Jimmy O'Brien or Mack Hansen at full back because these are questions that we're asking. I'm, I'm sure Andy Farrell, who is well ahead of what the way we're thinking of, of his team, and, and like he's, he's thinking about all these things. Don't get me wrong. He knows he's got strength and depth. They've got depth charts. They're miles ahead of our thinking. I'm sure he's thought about this. Is this an opportunity now in this Italian match where you don't change too many things, but you do try, you look for cover for full back, Back, uh, you might try another wing because you think Lowe and Hansen are probably your set wingers. Maybe you put in a different winger there to see, uh, give them an opportunity. You might probably start Bundy with. Could you start Bundy with another option? Maybe a couple. You go for Bundy at thirteen just to give Ringrose like you could. You could try out these things because you need to start future planning. But,
1: uh, you could start. You could start Ross Bourne as well. You know, like yeah. give us which is very you know very different starting a test game and coming off the bench in terms of your preparation is huge, hugely different because you know early in the week you're starting and, and you're you're in that zone of having to run out, whereas you're on the bench, it's a different kind of mental approach. You're ready, but it's it's not the same pressure. So, like, again, you know, maybe that's a possibility for him to, to start Ross Bourne and, and have Johnny Sexton on the bench. There are... I, I, get, I, I think your point is valid, and without going through all the options and things he could do, there are options for him against Italy in the middle of the championship with the depth we have in our squad and where we are in terms of the six nations. We've, we've put two massive performances in, we've got 10 points on the board were favors for the grand slam. He could take, he he could take the, the possibility or the opportunity to do that with a few positions. And I don't think there'd be the same risks in it that that might've been, you know, in, in other years, you know? So I think it's a, it's a valid conversation. Now, there's always the point is a Grand Slam is a Grand Slam. You know, um, like, keep your foot to the floor, keep your head in front of everybody and keep going. I wouldn't criticise him for doing that either. You know, it's it's very easy here to be playing the Monday morning quarterback, you know, uh, no pressure. But um, and- I think you have to factor in that. I, I think it's a fair conversation. Whether he takes the option, that's another thing, but it's a reasonable conversation given where we are in terms of our, the talent we have and the way the championship's gone so far, you know.
0: And there's likely to be a couple of enforced changes because Ty Barron doesn't look good. We don't have any details, but he's unlikely to be fit. Rob Herring is going through the processes. Um, and even Johnny, he came off, he, he said Antonio landed on him and he hurt his leg as well. So you can just imagine that unless Johnny is, if he's any way, any way question mark over him, that there'd be no need to start him in, in this fixture um, whatsoever. So yeah, there is plenty. Of, there's going to be a couple of natural changes and then, Farrell would unlikely to to make uh, a, a suite of changes either. Just on quickly on Antonio, it's kind of it's black and white, or is it yellow or red? Um, he he's he has been cited for that uh, hit on Rob Herring. It, is it just a brain fart by Wayne Barnes, or can you any idea what going on? through is
1: in his head. I think the problem referees have now, you know, and I'm I'm not ta- I'm not taking Wayne Barnes side. I think Wayne Barnes woke up the next morning and looked in the mirror and said, yeah, I got that wrong. You know, it was, it was obvious to everybody uh, that it was a red card. No, I'll be honest, I was watching it. I saw the, the first angle we saw, Antonio's right arm was low. And I thought by virtue of the fact his arm was low, that his shoulder was low yeah. and it wanted to get contact in the chest region. But when you got, there was one angle, which was the money shot, and his jaw, like he just connected with Herring's jaw, smack yeah. on, and it's that's a red card all day. Now the first question is: There mitigation? Did Herring dip? You know, uh, he didn't dip. No mitigation. Did Antonio? Was it a passive hit? Good God, no! And He took his head off. And the proof for the pudding was Herring was wheeled ashore and didn't come back. So by any metric you want, well, even Eddie. Plus uh, Antonio's body—he was—he was, he was uh, vertical. So he had no well, that's my point knee. with no mitigation. Like hasn't bent was, his knees at any to any degree when he had plenty of like any effect. metric that was red. So my point is that what minute I don't know what minute of the game was, was it around the first quarter, it was early doors. Like the pressure yeah. on referees now is if he pulls out a red there, and he should, that changes the game for everybody. It's now 14 against or fifteen. It's a different game of rugby. And I think referees are trying to be fair, and not um, ruin the game. Like, like if let's say he sent Antonio off and we went on and won the game 32-19 or 42-19 or 42-12. We were frame, we'd always be an asterisk beside the, the game. mark, okay. Pressure mark, yeah. So, I, I think referees, are, and, and they're under pressure not to try and ruin the spectacle. So, I'm not defending what he did, but I think at that moment, referees have been prone to back out of a red card because the consequences are so big for the game. Particularly mm-hmm. if it's in the first quarter, it's another hour. You know, and we saw last year on Twickenham, England lost a player after two minutes and they played on with 14 men. Yeah. You know, we celebrated the, the bonus point win, but and I know took a fair bit of flack last year for saying that wasn't a phenomenal performance for Ireland. It took us 70 minutes to break England down with 14 men. And that's what all the discussions are start, but... I, I do, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, I, I, for a second I'm not saying that Barron's got that right, he got it wrong, but I can see how he got himself into that pickle, and that was to try and preserve the integrity of the contest so early in a huge game, for probably a Grand Slam decider, I think that's where he, he made the miscalculation, because that was pressing on him. And, and, and that doesn't take away from the fact he still got it wrong. But that's if you're asking me for how did he get it wrong, yeah, I yeah, no, gone. that's that was the question, Ian.
2: Yeah, I, I honestly think if that happened in the 50th, 60th minute, I think he would have been more inclined to give a red card. I think yeah. he, yeah, as Eddie said there, I think he was very conscious <laughs> 1v2 in the world. This is a big spectacle. First 20 minutes of the match, Danny, do, do I give a red card here for something that I'm not 100% sure on? Um, so I, I think that. That probably did come into it, and it's, it's just human error. And you can, I can looking back, we, we can all see, yeah, it's a red card. But I'd I say that's going, that must have been one of the reasons why. But let's listen, this rule has been in nearly a year and a half, two years now that any head, head contact, it's a red card. And I still don't see players' um, habits changing. Like it comes goes back, back to players, you need to take more responsibility. You need to start practicing your, your tackle height because we see it every, every week now. There's nearly a yellow-red card. There's a discussion about it. Are the clubs, are they actually even practicing <laughs> tackle technique? Like it needs to be something that's done two, three times a week now because it's it's such a huge factor in games. You're getting yellow-red cards which are changing games. Uh, we're talking about player safety. How many shots are, or headshots are happening now? There needs to be uh, they brought in the rules to protect it, but there needs to be more of a follow-up from clubs and players' responsibility because they're not doing enough. They're not dropping their height. Uh, players now, when they have the ball, they go, right, let's start dropping our height. That means the defender has to come down yeah. and we we actually might get a yellow or red card, which changes the whole game.
0: Yeah, but World Rugby have this um this... Um, training program that can do so if you get a suspension you can reduce it by one week if you go onto your tack- Listen, this is funny but if it's that if it's that um, important or if it if it works why doesn't every club and every player have to do it now
1: well, I'll answer that for you that whole that whole what do they call it practice or whatever is it or it's like a re-education yeah. Yeah. Sure. I've, oh, wow, I've, yeah I have two words for that nonsense yeah like like, like that you're going to go away for a few days and, and you're going to change your behavior in a few days. Like, It takes a long time to change skills. I, I, I would I would, I would, I would, probably say, and I'm just disagreeing slightly here with, with Ian on this, like just take a broader view on this whole uh, head collision stuff. I think that basically the amount of malicious hits you get now in the professional game Is minuscule you rarely see somebody going in to do somebody and like it's probably less than one percent i'm not saying there's nobody in the game that doesn't do that but like it used to be a lot more frequent you had you know the head headhunters years ago used to get away with it so now we're down to 99 percent of the hits i would say confidently are accidental now accidental can mean somebody is careless
0: yeah
1: Yeah. careless and i think antonio last week was careless he could have got lower he didn't get lower, and we see that every week. Guys are careless; they stay too high, and then there's another percentage of them that are just purely accidental. Yeah. You have a high, high tempo game. Guys changing direction. The one for me this year was 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 James Hume got yellow carded in the Leinster game as Gary Ringro scored a try. Gary Ringwald was pulled off one of his classic sidesteps. Hume was like a drowning man, and then in passing him by, Ringrose clipped and and and, and Hume clipped heads.
0: Yeah.
1: And then Hume, Hume went off for, after conceding a try, he got a yellow card and a split lip. Like, so we're, the, the thing I have is I think the World Rugby are, are a bit deluded that we're going to legislate our way out of this problem. Okay. I, still, I still think, well, I don't disagree with the fact that I, I think there's a role for coaches and players to really drill into this and get guys into lower positions. But the problem with rugby is if in the modern game, if you don't if you don't tag the football and attack, tackle, somebody else has to tag it. And if yeah. there's not a second person there to assist to tag the ball, it's going to be offloaded. So every player is trying to get in position to stop the football as well as make the tackle. And that's the that's the problem. That's why you're in that area where you're potentially going to hit somebody in the jaw. But, you know, and I don't think they'll legislate their way out of it. I really think we're going to be talking about this another two years again.
2: I I I Just to go back to you, Eddie, I completely agree with you. Like there's one like on the week when Antonio is still upright and he hits head on head. There's no attempt. There's one, and we're talking about Mike Larry there last week, right? Mike Larry has had numerous mental high tackles and he's so low and he dips. In that match that you're talking about up in uh, Belfast, Mike Larry carried, right? He dipped. The defender, I saw it, he got a yellow card for hitting Larry around the head the defender had one knee on the ground. He dropped his height and still tackled Larry and he got a yellow card. And I'm there, I'm going, like, on your point, Eddie. like, what more can this guy do? He was on his knee, dropped his hand, dropped his hit, and he That's hit Larry good. on the head. That's and good. it was a yellow card. I'm there going, more to, the it. to do this. More.
1: And this is where I think, this is where I think there has to be a mind shift mm. in World Rugby to address this. At the moment, the, the problem I see it as is the ball carrier, has absolutely no responsibilities for his own safety. Mm. The only time a ball carrier gets penalised is if he leads with his elbow. That's the only time you can be penalised as a ball carrier. If you lead with your elbow up into a tackler, that's a red card if you make contact with the head. And rightly so. You can actually hit with your elbow once you keep it tucked, by the way. So that's Mm. just a boy to boy. But every... Every tackle here is adjudicated on the basis of what did the tackler do. The ball carrier has no responsibility. So as a ball carrier, he- here's a scenario. There's two minutes left in the World Cup final and there's two points in it and you're attacking. You'd be telling all your players every chance you get duck into the tackle. And if you don't get a penalty, if you don't get a yellow card, you'll probably get a penalty and we we'll win the game. So we're at- it's almost incentivizing players to duck. And your example there of Michael Laurie ducking And the player being on his knees and still getting caught for a high tackle. So maybe one road we have to say that if a player ducks into a tackle, it's a penalty. And that would make players adjust there. So if if you have less player ball carriers ducking with the ball, there's going to be less guys hitting them in the head making the tackle. So maybe we need to spread the responsibility here. It can't be 100% responsibility of the tackler to always get it right or there's a consequence. I think World will are wrong in that, that they have to shift the burden of safety to the ball carrier. And if the ball carrier does something that puts them and himself in danger, he should be penalised for that. And if you said in the morning, by the way, if you duck into a tackle and you get hit in the head, not alone is, is it your fault, you're going to be penalised for it. Let's see how fellas then don't duck. And the tackler then has a chance of completing the tackle without actually making head contact. But I think the burden of the, the tackler being completely in control of everything and having to get everything right is too loaded to one side. As a ball carrier, I have no responsibility for my own safety. And I think that's wrong. I think a ball carrier should have a responsibility for their own safety as well. And, and and that can be abused, as we know. If you duck at the right time, you're going to get, you're going to get a penalty and the other guy might get a yellow card as well, or a red. So you're almost incentivizing players who are carrying the ball to duck into contact. To me, that's a bad plan. Well, just when I have two coaches there, I'm going back to
0: something you did say there, Eddie, about the dominant tackle or the, the emphasis is to tag the ball as well. So, you know, 10 minutes before a match, before you're sending uh, your teams out, are you saying, guys, make sure your tackle technique is right and your knees are bent, that you hit the guy on the... Uh, in the midriff and you put them down or is it let's drill this lad into next week let him know you're there and um, let's lay down a marker and don't let don't keep these lads nothing <laughs> and is that
1: mm-hmm. multiplied and amplified on the international stage mm-hmm. that's, well, it's, that's a my- contact, it's a contact sport so yeah. you can't you know, tell guys listen hit hard but be careful you don't hit too hard you know exactly so it's a, it's a mix it's a contact sport and that's why like that's why we can't take the physicality or rugby because Let's say last weekend's game was a game of touch rugby. Nobody would have gone to it. You know, it's a huge part of what the game is. Yeah. And, and I, I'm, I'm all in favour of safety. Um, and and it's, it's, it's way better than it was, let's be honest. Um, but having said that, I think, I think the problem we have at the moment, and, and by the way, before we, before we, we, we go get, get away from it, the vast majority of concussions that we're getting in the, in the tackle is the tacklers being concussed, not the ball carrier. So that's, that, like, getting the tackle right doesn't solve all the problems. And the notion that the new experiment of putting the characters in below the waist, right, well, that's going to protect the ball carrier for sure, but it's, a lot of guys are going to have their head on the wrong side of a knee, and that's even more destructive. So, like, we're just going to have different guys getting concussed if we do that. So I think it's a long way from being solved, i got to tell you. But my 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 big thing is, and I keep saying this, is that, we have to put more responsibility on the ball carrier to act in their own safety and not be reckless as a ball carrier and get a free pass when someone knocks your head off.
2: Ian, I'll let you have the last word on this. Do you want to come but in? There, like, so when when they first talked about that rule, bringing in, uh, forcing the tackles, being they they just didn't take it out of thin air. I think they tested it out in um, New Zealand at, at schools level, and it reduced the. Uh, the concussion rate by 60%. So I think that's why they have decided to, to think about bringing in this rule. They just didn't take it out of thin air. Um, but my, my point is, when I'm talking about it, there needs to be a scene to have a, a dip. So Eddie's right, there needs to be more responsibility on the ball carrier to not, not put himself. But once he dips in his head and he's leading with his head, there should, that's, that's mitigation and there should be a, a more leniency on the tackler if, if that happens. But with, with, back to our original, Antonio, uh, Herring carried upright, Antonio, it, it wasn't even seen to, to dip. And that's, that's, that's a red card. And that's why I'm coming back to, it, it needs to be, there needs to be a change in habits of players that you need to dip and, uh, it needs to be coached into them. You but
1: I think, just to, to, to come back to you, I think, Nobody's disagreeing that Antonio should have got a red. That's a red card nailed on all day. Mm. But I go to your other example, which you rightly cited. That's a very harsh yellow card on the player attacker Michael Lowry. Yeah. So. No, it's not an easy, there's no easy solutions here, oh, guys. And not, I, I, yeah. I think there has to be a shift in the thinking around this yeah. that the responsibility to, for safety is 100% with the tackler and 0% with the ball carrier. That's my That's my overarching point. I think there has to be responsibility. Uh, on the ball carrier not to put themselves in danger and then if you put that if that is brought into law ball carriers will act a lot more responsibly yeah i don't want to
0: disrespect Wales or italy but we'll just touch on scotland and wales this is the first time that scotland have won back-to-back opening matches in the six nations and even going back into a period before that into the into the five nations what did you make of scotland's performance eddie and we we tend in Ireland to build up the Scots before we play them, but is there a bigger threat this time around, or uh, would you be more worried on this occasion?
1: Yeah, I, I think. Well, I, I think there's more to Scotland this time around. Yeah, for sure. I think they've proven that. And, and to be fair, like you look at their autumn performances, um, um, they they scared the living hell out of New Zealand, up in Edinburgh. New Zealand got out of there like they they were lucky to get out of it. Um, and I think. I think they beat Australia by a point, you know, they they beat Argentina comfortably. So, like, they're in a good place. Uh, they're probably in as good a place as they've been for a number of years. Now, it's taken a long time to get there under Gregor Townsend. But, fair is fair, their, their mojo is much better now. <clears throat> Having said that, um, I think, I think England were poor in the first week and I think Wales were poor in the second week. So, there's a caveat around that. And, you know, like if they'd beaten France and Ireland in their first two games, then you'd be saying, Yeah. But they yeah. still have to play France and Ireland. Yeah. Who are the two top teams. So I'm not shocked that they beat England in Twickenham. They've it's not they've done they've won the Celtic Cup for three years now. Yeah. In a row. So it just shows where England are. And I thought like Wales Wales are, don't know where they are at the moment. I, I thought they, they they rolled the dice. Well, Warren Gatton rolled the dice with, with the kind of dad's army selection in 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 against Ireland and that blew up on his face. And then he kind of did a halfway house up in up in Edinburgh and that's blown up and and now we're reading in the the media there's threats of a strike the players striking in Wales over 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 financial conditions and stuff. So Welsh rugby is in a mess. So when you take that context and I'm not trying to take away from Scotland um you know the jury is still out of it because like they're really for Scotland to, to make a statement this year. They need to beat Italy now and they need to beat either us or France yeah. and have a shot at the championship um, so you know they've started but what I will say is their confidence is sky high they're playing at home uh, for us to go up there and, and it's always been tricky to get a win up there if you get on top of them, yeah but if it goes if it gets to be a tight game you might you might slip up you know so I think yeah they're probably in as good a spot as they've ever been for a while now so yeah. that's some dangerous uh, no doubt about that
0: and they do have France away uh, next up as well. So it'll it, it be a different um, scenario after that. Yeah. In, um, I suppose Italy tend to get up for the France match and they pour a lot of energy and passion into that. So it was kind of routine win for England. We didn't really, ex- it went as expected. It's kind of Steve Bortwick going back to basics, taking out Marcus Smith and putting in Owen Farrell. Was there much to be read into it or, or what did you think of that game?
2: Yeah, I think Borthwick is kind of go, going back to let's let's keep putting the pressure on that kicking game. We kind of talked about it earlier on the podcast that Marcus Smith is more of a runner, and that takes time to, for the players to adjust to him. Like as exciting as he is, Borthwick and the way he played with Leicester was kicking game, pressure game, and he probably felt that with Farrow uh, in a at, at 10, he will give us more of that direction. That's the way he plays with Saracens. Pin the corners. And with that, you kind of get more penalties. You put pressure on the opposition. And, and most of their tries on the weekend were from, from a mall or from a penalty try, just putting that pressure in. It's uh, it, it's it's all come from statistical rugby, that if you played the ball in the right areas, if you actually kick the ball more, um you, you get better, you get better outcomes, you put the opposition. And, and against Italy, who probably wouldn't have as good as a kicking game, if you put the ball into the corner, you're gonna think Capuzo is gonna run it back, which they did quite a lot. And you force pressure, you get turnovers, you get a toge over the ball. It's exactly kind of it's a it's a very it's very statistical rugby, but it's a very easy game to to play rather than the the style that Ireland are playing. Like it's very hard to the way Ireland are playing, it's actually very hard to get that over time with everyone synced at the same player at international at international, and that's why there's probably so many Leinster players in the Irish squad because they're all playing that 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 similar way. Um, so, listen, there is signs of Italy developing their game. They are exciting to watch, but end of the end of the day, there's still two losses, um, yeah. and uh, against probably yeah uh, against two losses, but they probably, they're probably targeting the Welsh match again. They beat Wales last year, they're probably going, right, we need to beat Wales again this year.
0: We've got a full round of the BTK United Rugby Championship this weekend, and Munster host the Oscars on Friday night in and uh, News yesterday that Maliki Fekatoa will leave halfway through his contract. It appears not to have settled. Do you, have you heard anything in the wind down there in Limerick, Ian, about that?
1: Yeah,
2: it's tough on him, because he's, he's obviously a World Cup winner, like, played for New Zealand... And I, I, we actually found this when um, Francis Cayley came. Like it takes a while for for players to adjust to that the, the, the Irish mentality of the of the way they play. Like it's not a lot of those players go to France, and it's more jouer played the ball. While Ireland and 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 Munster and the Irish provinces, they have a bit more structure to their to their play because we don't have giant men who can get over gain line. Uh, we we play more structured, more. More clever way of playing uh, that we have to we have to we have to manipulate oppositions to create space um, now I've seen it so many times foreigners coming in and it takes them time to adjust and I and uh, he was actually Munster were finding their feet but funny enough he was finding his feet now so it it, it does come at a, a strange time and I'm sure Munster and, and Fekutau have talked about where they want to go. And I'm, I'm sure they both come to agreement because he signed a, a two-year contract. It was a, a one year with a, with a, a plus option. Yeah. So to do that, I think both, both parties have to agree. So maybe they both side, they both found that it's, it's the best thing for both parties. And then obviously you've got Frisch who's kind of come out of nowhere or not out of nowhere, who's come in and he's done really well in that 13 position. And, um, obviously they're playing Jack Crowley a a bit at 12 now to try and get him onto the pitch and you still have Roy Scannell who's signed a new deal as well so maybe they just feel or else they're planning for something for next year they might bring someone else in for next year um, and they probably might want to save money there so um, it's a business at the end of the day
0: Also on Friday night
2: Ulster are in Glasgow
0: Uh, Connacht are in Zebra on Saturday afternoon they've won their last two uh, League games in a roster. we be looking to build on that. And hopefully, Andy Friend said yesterday that they will be uh, looking to announce their new uh, tickets, their new coaching tickets soon. Leinster finish up the action on Saturday evening. They have the Dragons in the RDS, and that's a match that's live on RT2 and the RT player. Gentlemen, thanks very much for your time today. We'll talk to you all next week.